This show is brought to you by Creatively Disruptive, the marketing team behind your team. And if you are a club owner or a gymnastics industry professional, I encourage you to join their group, the Gymnastics Business and Marketing Group. There's so much free advice straight from the pros, and you'll meet an entire community of like-minded professionals. So check out the Gymnastics Business and Marketing Group on Facebook, and check out Creatively Disruptive at creativelydisruptive.com. This episode is brought to you by Quattro Gymnastics. Quattro, freedom to perform. And I want to give a special shout out to everyone over at Quattro for helping put on such a wonderful podcast event this past weekend. I literally could not have done it without you guys. Thank you so much. And everyone, check out Quattro at QuattroGymnastics.com. Going to national team training camps and watching some of the other coaches just berate their gymnasts or, you know, I watched several of my teammates, you know, doing vaults that land, that would land short, landing on their head, and they were told to do it again as if, like, the next turn would have been better, right, or more safe. Mm-hmm. Um, so, no, there was no point where I was like, oh, I, I need to go to that coach. <laughs> like, Hi, and welcome to a full episode of What Makes You Think, the show that flips the traditional interview format, showing you some different sides of some of your favorite figures in gymnastics. My guest today is not only Olympic bronze medalist, she's also a world champion. She's a two-time national all-around champion and a two-time NCAA all-around champion. My guest today is Tasha Schweikert. Just a couple important notes before we start this episode. Tasha and I recorded this on May 11th, which was prior to the announcement that she was selected by the Survivors Committee to serve on the USA Gymnastics Board of Directors. That's why you won't hear us talking about it. Another thing, uh, trigger warning, there is a short but powerful discussion of eating disorders that will show up at the 19-minute mark up until the 26-minute mark. So if that is an uncomfortable topic for you, which I completely understand, please feel free to skip through that part. Now, here we go with part one of what makes Tasha Schweikert think. All right, Tasha Schweikert, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I've uh, like I've listened to Mohini's podcast, um, and so I can't wait to hear the questions you're going to ask. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see. Uh, yeah, we'll see what kind of personality yours has because each episode kind of <laughs> has its own personality. Yeah. But uh, before we get started, then you did listen to Mohini, and you know that there's a warm up. Yes. So your warm up today is going to be me reading you a quote or just a phrase or word that somebody from your past has given me to present to you. And I want you to try to guess who said it. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. Oompa Loompas. Courtney Coupets? Nope. Keep going. Oompa Loompas. Jamie Dancher? Nope, I think, and actually, it's probably all the same from the same group. It could have been any of them. She said uh, one of the funniest things that she remembers you guys laughing about was they're going to have to roll us out of here like Oompa Loompas. Okay, okay. Any, Chelsea. Any... <laughs> <laughs> Chelsea. All right. Yeah. Here's another one. This is so easy, but I just love it. One time she had an assignment to work on floor turns, but there were some boys watching over the balcony at the gym, so she has to do double layouts on floor instead. <laughs> she said she felt like doing those, and I said, sure, of course. That's what she preferred to work on. I'd love to do some tougher tumbling instead of just turns. 
Cassie. Yes. <laughs> that was an easy one. I don't think you're alone in that, though. Like, you know, people don't understand how hard this sport is. And so, yes, maybe there was a little factor that they were boys and you're a teenager. But I think in general for gymnasts, like if normal people from the outside are watching, like they need to see how hard this is. They're not going to understand how hard it is when you're doing turns. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, we're elite gymnasts are in the gym, like, you know, eight hours a day, like six days a week. So and a lot of times you're alone in there or, you know, there's like classes going and other small gymnasts, but sometimes it's nice to have an audience. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. And especially, like I said, you know, people that are even your peers to be able to to get some sort of understanding. And it's not like you need a pat on the back of, hey, good job doing hard stuff all the time. But it is nice to be recognized a little bit and for people to realize it's not just cartwheels. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> All right. So I have one more. And this one came in uh, the 11th hour, literally like an hour ago. Okay. Nice. <clears throat> Tasha casually texts me about something super random. And then about 10 minutes into our text conversation, she reveals that she's actually in the hospital and just had her baby girl. Like, oh, side note, just had, just had a baby a few hours ago. I don't remember because if I just had a baby and I had C-sections <laughs> for all my kids. So clearly I was, you know, on a lot of good pain meds at the moment. <laughs> so no, I have no idea. <laughs> That's amazing. That is amazing. So this actually came from the connection that you and I have from a past guest. And that was Ariana Berlin. Oh, nice. Ari. I love Ari. Oh my gosh. Yes. Okay. I do remember, I do remember texting her in the hospital. Yes. Cause we had been texting like before that a little bit because our babies were born a couple weeks apart our th my third and her first mm -hmm. um and her baby's actually supposed to be born before mine but mine came early so it's like surprise okay. <laughs> so what do you what are you doing what are you up to yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so actually i'm going to repeat myself in in reality though what are you up to what's going on with you these days uh, so these days I'm a practicing attorney. I'm a corporate M&A attorney at a law firm called Monk Wilson Mandela. It's a Dallas-based law firm, but I'm actually working remotely from Eugene, Oregon, because my husband's uh, one of the assistant basketball coaches for the, the women's team here at the university. Nice. All right. So you, we've got another athlete, two athletes producing beautiful children. So what's up? <laughs> what's up with your kids? I know Obviously, you've you've got a little bit of a range there, but are they into sports? Uh, six, four, and almost a year and a half. Um, girl, boy, girl. My six-year-old, super athletic, like got the the long arms and long legs like her dad. My husband's six eight, so oh wow, uh, yeah, so he's tall. And you know, we put her in sports, like we put her in soccer, and she did a little basketball. Um, she's done a little bit of gymnastics recreationally honestly like she just would rather sing dance um I tell her she you know I joke with my husband that she's going to be like a YouTube star <laughs> <laughs> every but parent's right dream <laughs> yeah I know um but we have her in musical theater and she really likes that um she's asked for singing lessons so she's very super artsy but it is it's funny because my husband and I always talk about how she's so athletic and like all of her athletic ability is going to go to waste, but it's fine. Like, cause I want her to be happy. So whatever she wants to do, but I mean, you should see this girl run to the bus. 
like she is fast and she's got wow. the stride and everyone's like dang she's fast I'm like no she's gonna sing she's gonna sing and dance <laughs> well that takes a lot of athleticism and, totally, and endurance totally. to sing and dance at the same time so totally you know. totally so we'll see she's only six I'll give it some time but yeah you know how old were you when you started gymnastics um two or three but it was like oh, mommy okay. and classes yeah um and then I started competing I, I think I for, competed my first like level five meet um when I was six or seven yeah um yeah. And then my four-year-old little boy, he loves basketball, loves basketball. Um, and then he loves like flipping, like he'll be in the house doing headstand push-ups. I'm like, who taught you that? And he just does he's it. Like, it's in my jeans, mom. I it's know. In my jeans. I know. Yeah. So we joke that he's going to be like a Harlem Globetrotter, Globetrotter doing at like halftime shows, but like NBA games. <laughs> and then my, my, uh, my littlest, um, my one-year-old, she's just walking and trying to talk and loves her siblings and yeah oh that's awesome yeah so when you have brought your kids uh to is it one or two of them that tried gymnastics you said um do two of them yeah my oh, okay. older two have tried so when you walk in there is there expectation because of who you are or do you can stay incognito and not mention it yeah um so at the local gym here in eugene they definitely know who i am and i actually when i was in law school my husband um transferred to University of Oregon to play basketball his fifth year. And I was in law school at UNLV. So I transferred up for the like semester and I, mm -hmm. I, came to, I did law school here. And while I was here, I also coached gymnastics at NAC. Linda oh, okay. Him. Yeah. Um, so, you know, coming back to live here with three kids and a husband and um, they were like, hey, how are you doing? And so, no, I mean, no like expectations of my kids. But, um, you know, they were just obviously happy to see me and, you know, invited me to come back and coach anytime I want. <laughs> of course they did, because they're smart. Yeah. But, um, no, I mean, my kids, like, you know, it's, I'm like, I just get happy if they're listening, right? And like standing in line, you know, right now, that, that's the hardest thing. Um, you know, my, my four-year-old little boy, he loves like, he loves like the parkour type stuff. Like he loves, like, he watches Ninja Kids on YouTube. I don't know if, oh, yeah. ever, if your kids do that. So he, everything is like, I want to be a ninja kid. So if I can do a trick like a ninja kid, like that's what we're doing. Mm -hmm. So he loves, yeah, loves all that. So do you have any sort of void from being a participant in gymnastics in any capacity right now? Obviously you have, you have created quite a life for yourself. And that's very, very impressive to excel so highly in one area and then do it again in another. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, you know, gymnastics was my life for the first 25 years of my life. So um, I, I feel like I'm always looking for things to be able to fill the void and stay connected. Um, my sister, Jordan, she's still coaching gymnastics. And mm -hmm. we talk every day, sometimes twice a day. And so she she keeps me up to date with everything that's going on in the world of gymnastics. Okay. But yeah, you know, I, I try to catch a meet here and there. Um, as much as I can, as long as it works with my schedule. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, you know, just kind of do the best I can. But, uh, you know, realizing the fact that I'm a full-time attorney and I have three children and yeah, sometimes it's hard to do everything. <laughs> yeah. Do your kids realize what you did in gymnastics? Um, my six-year-old kind of gets it because I think it's school. She came home one day and was like, mommy, we watched you on YouTube. And I was like, oh, and she's like, you do gymnastics. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> kind of. I do. that's cool. <laughs> like, 
yeah she doesn't she doesn't understand you know like the level of gymnastics but she just knows that I can I flipped and it it seemed cool it seemed pretty damn cool yes (laughs) yeah Yeah, so I'm I'm just mom (laughs) yeah and do you keep in touch with did you keep in touch with Cassie I mean I've seen some things that you guys did together years ago and we'll, we'll get into that as far as speaking and very impactful speaking i should say um but besides that are you guys still in contact yeah we talk all the time um yes. i would say at least you know every other week um we talk and i also talked to val too so yeah i mean you know my coaches have had amazing impacts in my life and um you know they're some of my best friends and I still go to them for advice and thoughts and opinions on mm-hmm. life issues. So, yeah. Yeah. We're mentors at this point, huh? Yeah. So how do you feel looking now and seeing that you, you were one of the fortunate ones that had a coach that was not gonna, not gonna stumble into the bullshit and advocate for their athlete and, and basically do the right thing. Do you, did you know when you were training that you were with somebody that was a little bit different than maybe some of the others that we're finding out about. Did you feel fortunate at the time? I, I definitely knew. I don't think I, I knew the impact of how fortunate I was at the time, but you know, like being at national team camp and, you know, I, I vividly remember a day where Elise Ray and me were on bars and it was um, right before we left to Sydney and the number of bar routines we were asked to do was completely insane. Um, and it, and that was just like the one though we had two, four, two, four hour workouts that day. And that was just the morning workout. Um, and so I remember Cassie, like helping me basically like calling out, you know, I do a routine and she'd be like, that's two. Very good. Okay. That's four. But it, you know, it don't, I had only done two routines, but she called out four to make it seem like, you know, I had done more because she realized the number was so completely insane. It just, it wasn't, it's not, it's not safe to overtrain like that, mm-hmm. especially right before the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, no, I, no other coaches were doing that for their athletes. Um, so I, I knew that she was helping me and I knew she, to me, she just seemed logical. I mean, she wasn't at training camp yelling at me, um, you know, telling me I didn't care like in front of everyone when obviously like, all of us are there because we care. Like we yeah. care. Like, really. mm-hmm. So you know, I, I mean, I realized, and I definitely realized that, you know, there were girls who had personal coaches who were so bad to them that I certainly felt um, thankful. Like I had her, right. Cause I knew it could be way worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, let's not forget that your coach kind of knows what you need at that point. So absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I feel like you know, national team camp, there were several coaches who were in a sense, trying to show out and to make themselves feel like, Oh, you know, I'm tough on my gymnast all the time back at, you know, my gym, back at my home gym. And so sure. I'm going to be this way here, but I I don't know, to me, it just was awful. And I felt bad for a lot of those gymnasts from gyms where coaches were just awful to them in front of the national team staff, as if the national team staff wasn't also awful to us. Like we, we, we got the horrible comments from Marta and Bella and national team staff. We also don't need it from our personal coaches as well. Right. But mm-hmm. you know, I, some of them were just awful. So I feel fortunate that Cassie was my coach. Yeah. And when you, you were basically her first, let's say superstar, is that right? Mm-hmm. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, she, she 
bought Jim Katz. It was an existing gym called something else, turned it into Jim Katz. I want to say when she was like 24, mm-hmm. when she moved to Vegas. So yeah, I mean, she, and I was seven at the time and she took me to the Olympics. So I was, wow. yeah. Was first. there ever any part of that journey that you felt like you should be with somebody who has done this before? Never, never. I mean, and that's the thing. I mean, done this, you know, she was a collegiate gymnast at Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. So it's not like she didn't know gymnastics. Mm-hmm. Um, no, because, and especially going to national team training camps and watching some of the other coaches just berate their gymnast or, you know, I watched several of my teammates, you know, doing vaults that land, that would land short, landing on their head. And they were told to do it again as if like the next turn would have been better. Right. Or more safe. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, there was no point where I was like, oh, I, I need to go to that coach. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. no, <laughs> that looks fun. <laughs> that looks so fun. Like, no, no, never. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I'm happy for you. And it was very, very cool to watch. And, you know, just watching the way that you guys have stayed connected and continued to share your stories, share your perspective. It's, mm-hmm. it's it has to be helping people and, and it's not an easy thing to do. So thank you for that. Of course. Yeah, no, I mean, Cassie and, and she, I mean, when, you know, stuff came out and, um, you know, I disclosed to her that I had an eating disorder. I mean, she just was devastated and. I mean, even still to this day, it's been years and she's still like apologizing. And I'm like, you don't need to, sorry, I'm getting a little emotional. No, it's okay. Um, We've had a lot of therapy sessions on this show. So (laughs) yeah, right. (laughs) Um, You know, and and I always tell her she was, she did the best that she could. And in, in the big scheme of things, you know, she was like one of the best coaches that were there in terms of like caring me about, caring about me as a whole person and caring about my well being um, beyond just Tasha Schweikert, the gymnast. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, she obviously said she's she's uh, grown a lot and lots of education. And she's like, I wish you could see me coach now. It's so different than when I coached you then. <laughs> yeah, evolution, right? Yep. Yep. But uh, well, thank you for sharing that. And you know, like I, we've talked about this um, before we even started recording. I mean, whatever your comfort level is, uh, that's where we're going to be. And I do want to ask, you know, you, you didn't share that with her until after your training. Is that right? Correct. Yep. Yeah. And then Um, use that story. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, um, and I didn't know like how to tell her, um, cause I, I hit it so well, I hit it so well. It was easy to hide it because, you know, my, my parents worked at night and so in the house, it was just me and my sister and I could lock myself in my room, lock my bathroom and it was just easy um to hide it and so um you know it wasn't until what like four four years ago that I I um disclosed to Cassie that I had eating disorder that went on for about 10 years and she just was devastated and so I I didn't want to like call her and tell her on the phone I wanted to call her in person so me and my sister asked her out to dinner and you know, we ate with the family and then we kind of took her over to the side and, and, um, you know, told her that. And she just was like, just lost it and was completely devastated. And no, I mean, it was, it's been very therapeutic to kind of get that in the open and also kind of to share my story with the community because I just still feel like it's something that not a lot of gymnasts want to talk about. And we, we talk, we, 
and beyond just gymnastics, I mean, you know, Hollywood entertainment, I mean, there's a lot of body image issues, um, social media, especially, right, with the filters and things like that. And so no one really wants to talk about, like, have the hard discussions about the actual eating disorder and, like, you know, how, how do you look that thin, right, or how do you look so good? Like, well, like, you really want, you want to hear about how it happens. This is why. Mm-hmm. So, um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just happy I can, I feel free. Right. And obviously it, it, it took, um, the way I overcame it was using a therapist and three times a week for years to get over it. Um, you know, but I'm, I'm just glad I finally, um, told her and let her know. And, um, you know, it's, she's been just great in terms of the healing process for me. Yeah. Well, again, thank you for sharing that. And <clears throat> I'm getting a little emotional too. I'm sorry. Um, I, I've never said this out loud. Um, but when you gave that speech and you, I don't remember where that was, I'm so sorry, but you were, you were on a stage on a microphone sharing. Um, I, I went through a, a pretty bad eating disorder myself as, um, uh, you know, in my level 10 years training, yeah. which I don't mean to compare at all. Yeah. Um, but when I heard you talk about it with such, you were angry that it got to that point. Um, I think you were angry that no one maybe saw the signs mm-hmm. to help you. Yep. And angry that there's still reasons that athletes find themselves in that situation. Yeah. And it's, it's really hard because I specifically remember being at a pretty low point in it and someone, an adult, meaning in, you know, they were not trying to, to be hurtful or inappropriate, but commenting on how good I looked. Mm-hmm. And so that then of course reinforced the fact, because as an athlete, you're like, oh, I need to, you said 10 reps, I'm going to do 20. Right. I reduced by this many calories. I'm going to double it because I'm doing well. Um, yeah. And the fact of the matter is, I mean, at least in my opinion, and you could argue this, I don't think that I would have let the people that cared about me most do anything about it. Because in yeah. my brain, I was doing what I needed to do and nobody understood it. Yep. And the, I wasn't going to let them help me until I was ready to make a change. And I had yeah. a amazing yeah. amazing coach who till this day we're, we're very very close um it, you know if there was somebody to talk to I, I should I could have talked to him about it mm-hmm. and it gets so deep that you just it doesn't matter it doesn't matter you hear people telling you you're hurting yourself and you still hear it as good job yeah yeah and that's why no because you know when you whether it's whether it, you're reducing calories whether you're binging and purging I mean and you start to get positive reinforcement that you look good. Like, why would you stop, right? As a teenager who has obviously a mental disorder and, and body dysmorphia and thinks that they're fat all the time, right? I mean, th- that makes perfect sense in a in someone who has, um, you know, issues. But yeah, I mean, Cassie and I were so close and I could have told her anything, like, like you said, but I didn't because I felt like I was alone. I felt like I was the only one. And then you get older and, you know, Cassie went around and, and called a bunch of gymnasts. And I, I think she said 90% of them had an eating disorder. 
but like you know I thought I was the only one and I'm sure that the other 90% of gymnasts also thought they were the only one in their mind right so it's just something we need to we need to talk about more and we need to um, educate the coaches on on the fact that positive reinforcement for this these things just perpetuates the cycle absolutely yeah <sighs> okay well thank you for that <laughs> Thank you. Therapy session two no, ways. Yeah. Yeah, it's not easy. Oh, shaking a little bit right now. We're gonna move on. Okay. Are you ready for some videos? Sure. Let's do that. <laughs> yeah. I'm ready for that. TumbleTrack is known for creating innovative training tools to help athletes and coaches continue to progress and progress safely. And they've done it again. You guys have heard me talk about the porcupine pad before, but I also want to share with you that. We've been using the porcupine pad all summer at this year's precision camps, and it really works. And how does it work? Well, when working on uneven bar swinging skills, do you have gymnasts who are nervous about their feet hitting the low bar? Do they pull in too early, causing them to break form? Well, the innovators at TumbleTrack have done it again. The new porcupine bar pad. It is simple yet incredibly effective. It's a training tool that will help an athlete begin to feel exactly how far away they are from the low bar. It uses soft, flexible bristles to offer feedback and assurance. Over time, the athlete will begin to stretch out their swings. And that's really the point, right? TumbleTrack partnered with Coach Brett Wargo, team coach from Ascend Gymnastics, winner of the 2022 Program of the Year, to bring you this brand new product. Head over to TumbleTrack.com and use the promo code THINK22. That's T-H-I-N-K-22 for a 10% discount. These are going fast, guys. So if you want to get your TumbleTrack porcupine pad, get over to TumbleTrack.com ASAP. Are you ready for some videos? Sure. Let's do that. <laughs> yeah. I'm ready for that. Look at that baby. A baby with braces. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what are we looking at here? This was the team finals in the 2000 Olympics. And I started, I was the first one up on bars. Okay. I remember the bars being, they weren't like the best bars. It's just the Olympics. Why should we have the best equipment, right? I know the best. Well, yeah, I just, um, I want to was the, it may have been the Spieth Anderson. I don't know. I just, I wasn't thrilled with, um, like the well, bounce of the bar. From the looks of your bar routine, it didn't seem to affect you because that was gorgeous. No, thank you. Yeah. How old are you here? 15. That might be the most flightiest shaposh I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a, a big one, that's for sure. Um so not on not on bars, but on beam, I remember because the Olympics were my first big international competition. Like I didn't do a worlds before this mm -hmm. or um and so I remember them being like, okay, like when you, you're going to be first up on our first event in like the prelims. No and pressure. so when you do, yeah, no pressure, but when you, you know, you cancel it to the judges, like you normally do. Um, so when you see your name, like go up on the, on the electronic screen, you have to like turn around, show the back, show the judges, the number on your back and then salute. And I'm like, okay. Oh. So I remember just being like freaked out, like. I can't screw up the salute. Like not even thinking about the balance of your routine, but like 
okay, I'm going to walk up onto that podium and I'm going to turn around and do the salute, right? <laughs> Did you nail it? Yeah, I must have. Because <laughs> we didn't get any deductions for like, you know, okay. weird, you know, pre-beam routine salute things. <laughs> I've never heard that before. I wish it was like the SATs though, right? Where you just get 200 points for writing your name. Yeah, like, yeah. Well, it's, it's just funny because it's not, I mean, you know, because I guess if they hadn't said that, the judges like would have put their their hand up and I would have saluted the judges and then they would have been like turn around <laughs> but no I mean but it is funny because it's like you have all this pressure and like it's the Olympics and like that's what I'm focusing on that's like, what you're worried about yeah yep so tell me about uh, I'm gonna say the call I don't know if it was a call but tell me about the moment you got put on that team um I just feel like it was a lot of moments right so um I mean I was just excited to be at the Olympic trials I didn't expect to make the team at all I was just thought it was cool to compete in the Olympic trials I was like starstruck by Dominique Dawes because she was my idol and like I I used to watch her in 96 and like I remember being in my little living room and replaying like um the video cassette of her floor routine at the 96 Olympics. And so I, I like learned all the floor routines of the whole 96 team and yep. Dominic Mugiano's routine. And so to be at the Olympic trials, like on the podium with them, I was like, Oh my God, this is so cool. And like Jamie Dancher and Vanessa Atler, I loved them. And um, so it was cool just to be there. Um, so obviously didn't make the team. They named the two alternates. Um, I'm trying to think now. Was I named? No, so yeah, so I was named like the third alternate there. Um, but just thought that like it was like alternate name, right? And then mm -hmm. it was like, oh, you're going to training camp. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. Like, so I was just happy to be at training camp. And then um, and then I got a call right before leaving to training camp that I was going to travel. And I was like, oh, well, that's really cool. Like never been to Australia before. So I was just, just excited yeah. to be there. Um, and then it wasn't until, so, you know, we, we did tons of training and we did that exhibition meet like Dan in, down in San Antonio, um, did some training in like LA and, and San Diego. And when we were doing the, the processing to get all the gear, um, and then, you know, so what, I think it was like five days before the first competition that's when the coaches had a meeting and I remember being up in my room at like about to go to bed it was like nine at night and Cassie comes in and says you know obviously you know you know that Morgan's foot's completely broken and she can't put pressure on it so she's not going to compete she's going to go home and the coaches had a meeting and they decided um to put you on the team and I it was a crazy feeling because you know being there mentally as an alternate you have no pressure, right? Yeah. I, you're just there, like, you're just like the practice player, right? No yep. pressure at all. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I'm competing. <laughs> and then it's like, oh my gosh. And I just felt like the weight of the world is like, oh, this is serious. And not that like, I mean, I had been train taking training very, very serious. I mean, you had to, yeah. right? like Bella yeah. is there, like, you know, do a beer routine without warming up. And it's like, you know, weird gym in Australia, like, ah, you know, so like it was intense already. And it was like, it was a lot. Um, so definitely had to take it serious because if not, like I was going to get injured anyway, but, and I did get injured there. Um, but now that I had to compete, it was like, oh my gosh, like this is mind shift switch, completely different. Um, 
yeah, I, I just, and I, so I just had to focus like, okay, no, not, like you're going out there and like your score counts now, right? You don't get to just sit on the bench, like your score counts. Right. And so, well, actually first you had to go to sleep after getting that news. Well, that too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had to go to sleep. Yep. And then there was a few more days of training. Oh right? my gosh. Yeah. Which was weird because, you know, like in the, yeah, as an alternate in the trainings, like the team goes and then they're like, okay, now the alternates, like you can do your routines. And now it was like, oh, you're part of the, this team lineup in our trainings now. Um, yeah. So it was just, it, it was a lot. And, and then it was, yeah. there was obviously only a few days before the, the prelims. Right. So it was, um, it was intense, but you know, I, there was also like so much, hor- there were so many horrible things happening too. So as much as I like to say, like, I just got to focus on this, like mind switch shift. There were so many other things that we were dealing with. I was dealing with like a hamstring, a partially torn hamstring, um, you know, like the lack of food, the fact that I was like crying myself to sleep because, you know, I was starving literally. Um, so just a bunch of other stuff you're dealing with. So I think probably having, it was like, I was in survival mode and like the rest of my teammates. And so I think maybe the pressure of the meat was alleviated by being in survival mode of some of the other things that were happening. And was that hamstring something that happened? Cause you mentioned you got injured during training. Yeah. Yes. Um, so we were, um, we were doing over splits after one of our pre-Olympic trainings and I'm a lefty. Sure. I can, and I'm, everyone knows I'm not the most flexible gymnast. I have great straddle splits, but like my right and the left, not so good, but like, that's not, that wasn't really like my strong suit in the mm-hmm. sport. Um, so I, I could do an oversplit on a panel mat on the left, fine. On the right, like wasn't going down to the ground, but didn't need to. Like when, when am I ever going to do a right split jump? Never, right? right? I don't do it in any of my routines. Um, and so Bella came down and um, he pushed me down to stretch me. Um, and I wanted to scream, but I held back the scream, obviously. And, but I was tearing up. And then I remember the next morning at training, I was like limping and Cass was like, are you okay? And I'm like, no, I'm not okay. Um, and from then on, I mean, it was just like, you know, I mean, tons of treatments. And of course it was like perfect opportunity because it was right on my, like the vaginal bone, right mm-hmm. where it connected. Come to find out, like after I get home, it's partially torn and I have to go to high school with like, and sit on this red donut for like six months because I can't even sit in a chair. Um, and I thought about doing surgery, but they said I was young enough to where they, they were going to wait to see because it was like a, a small enough chair to where they, they thought it might heal itself back mm-hmm. or back, back together. And again, I'm not a doctor, so I don't like, I myself right. may sound dumb with all of the medical that I'm attempting to explain. But um, I guess over time it healed up to a point that I was able to like do normal gymnastics, but still like, I remember throughout my career, I mean, my, my right leg split was never the same thing. Thankfully I'm a lefty. So it it was never an issue, but oh yeah. I mean, there, it, there's still something. It never went back normal. It's so unnecessary. You got there without a a hyper split on your right leg. Why do you need it? And basic fundamentals of flexibility. You don't get more flexible in a moment. No, you so don't. So pointless. That was a no, power move. Yeah. Yep. 
Yep. So um, again, like dealing with, you know, so dealing with that um, and then the, you know, the, the lack of nourishment we were getting, um, all of those things. And then the, you know, the eight hour a day workouts and not to mention, we didn't get a break. Like, so like our flight over to Sydney was like our day off. <laughs> and I remember on the airplane, wow. we, we, um, we were asked to do, um, uh, conditioning like down the aisle. <laughs> so, and it was like a chartered plane. So they're like Olympians from every other sport. And then you have like the women's USA gymnastics team. And we're like doing conditioning in the aisle and everyone's like, what is going on? It's not necessary. Also, like, We don't know, but like, we don't have a choice, you know, like this is what we have to do. <laughs> so like this wow. is insane. Do you yeah. And then we that... get there. Yeah. Well, we get there and we have, we, and we work out right away. So I think like over two and a half, we didn't get a full day off over like a two and a half month span. We got a few half days off, but on the half days, we still had, they basically crammed the whole workout into like a half day. <laughs> so it really wasn't a day off. <laughs> Do you think that any of this that you're explaining with the ridiculous amount of training and kind of going a little overboard and that's an understatement Yeah. with, with how they were I shouldn't say preparing because that's what they thought they were preparing or whatever. Yeah. Do you think any of that came from coming off of 96 and the success that happened and feeling like that had to happen again? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I definitely think that they were trying to force success, but I also think, well, 96, there, we didn't have a centralized like training system, right? So everyone trained with their, their, personal coaches at their gyms. And then right before the meet, they came together and they competed well. And they just basically like, you know, they, everyone got to use their personal coach basically for numbers and coaching and all kinds of stuff. But um, I think it's a little bit of that. I also think it's just a little bit of the um, Eastern European like training philosophies, right? Of, you know, we, we overtrain and, um, your well-being is not something that we're considering at all. And um, if you're in, if you're injured, you should hide it because if you don't hide it, you're going to be pulled off the team. And you know, just all that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. if you're landing on your head at like you know, uh, full in number two, like as a as a coach, we're going to keep telling you to do more because I don't know why it makes sense that we're going to start landing on our feet at like number eight right like well, not it's sure like you why. said it's that mentality too of like oh well you don't i need i'm gonna make you care because you don't care enough to land right. on your feet which is absolutely ridiculous yeah yeah yep so um yeah i, I think it was, it, was, it was a few factors um for for the way that we prepared but yeah um, i do think a lot of it is like they, they just didn't know any other way and and if they even and they weren't educated enough and i think maybe if um yeah, I mean, they just came from a they came from a place like we don't care about your well being. We just don't. Um, I don't know. It's almost like maybe they're just stuck in their ways and too far gone. There wasn't there was no teaching or educating happening with coaches at that at that right. point in time. So, do you know any of the athletes that are currently competing right now? Do you have any connections with any of them? Um, I do. Well, yeah. So I, I personal connections. No. Well. Selena Harris at Jim Cats, but she's, you know, obviously level 10 heading to UCLA. So I'm really excited for her, but um, no personal connections with any of the elites. Obviously I've, I've seen them and watched them and mm -hmm. um, 
Yeah. When you They're watch awesome. though, do you do you see just in watching the interactions on the sidelines and the and the vibe and all of that, do you see a difference versus when you were on the sidelines interacting with other athletes and coaches at those big competitions? Um I think the way that coaches were allowed to behave back then, I mean, no one was going to tell them no. So they could berate their gymnasts, tell them that they sucked in the middle of a competition and no one was going to say anything. Now you just can't do that. Like you can't, you can't be openly, you know, verbally abusive. Right. But I mean, sure. Like, have I seen some of the subtle, um, inappropriate coaching? Yeah. Um, do I think maybe the coaches now maybe try to put on a show and, and put on a front, like things are different when they're out of me and, and on podium compared to when they're at their gym, probably. Right. So I think the real coaching, you're going to see it like in someone's gym when no one's watching. Right. So, I mean, sure. Are things like from surface level, 30, 30 foot, uh, 30,000 foot view better. Yeah. But I, you know, let's go in someone's gym when they think no one's watching and let's, let's do that. Oh, that's going to be it for today. But don't worry. I've got part two of what makes Tasha Schweikert think coming up this Tuesday. We discuss the 2003 World Championships. What happened before, during, and after? We talk about her years at UCLA and the 2000 Olympic bronze medal ceremony where she, well, you guys know. We'll hear all about it. Until next week, keep thinking outside the box. Bye.